Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to, to Luke. Uh, we're going to get out of chapter 6 today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. Uh, yeah, that's right. We're making progress, slowly but surely. Luke chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Follow along with me as we hear God's word together. It says, After he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with him. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard these things. He marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inherent word, we pray that, that you would be pleased to, to meet with us. Uh, Father, we, we see in this passage the, the power of a word spoken by Jesus. And now we get to consider those words. And so we pray that same power who, who healed this servant would be at work among us now, teaching us, saving us, convicting us, drawing us closer to Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Such great faith. Well, I have found over the course of the past nine years or so uh, that any trip with New Albany Presbyterian youth, uh, youth group, uh, whether it's to Bonclarkin, whether it's to Pickwick, whether it's to Walmart, no matter where it may be, it is always an adventure. Uh, it seems that, that no matter what they do, this group, they always find a way to come back with a story, or maybe two or three, uh, that's worth telling. And this past week was no exception to that rule. Uh, there's actually two or three stories that you will probably hear over the course of time, uh, but, but there was one in particular that stood out. Our theme of the week of the, the, of the trip was putting on the, the full armor of God. Uh, and so each day we would have two lessons uh, that looked at a particular element that Paul speaks about there in Ephesians 6. And so we would talk about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and so on. Y'all know all of those elements. Uh, and and any time that, that you're teaching a group like that, you, you want to find an example, uh, a kind of an illustration that is powerful and meaningful that really drives the point home that you're that you're trying to get and it was the kids themselves along with Mr. Ben uh, that, that provided that example for us now it was Harlow that that really gave us the, the idea for this example but but it was the, the kids themselves that that really drove it home uh, when we got there Tuesday everybody of course went straight to the water 
everybody except Julianne. Everybody went to the water. They were playing. They were having a great time. And so, being my father's son, I had a boat. I had a fishing rod. So this is a great time for me to go fishing. Now I can kind of get away from all this bunch. I can go. So I went out, and I couldn't have been gone for more than an hour. And I get back to the dock, and I find Miss Lori sitting on the dock waiting on me. And I thought, this is not going to be good. And I can't actually tell you what she said, but paraphrased, she said, our youth group just swam across the lake. Now, that doesn't sound like too big of a deal, but y'all, having gotten the opportunity to swim it later in the week, it's got to be a mile. It's, uh, if it's not, it's, it's pushing it for sure. It's a long way across that lake. And so I look across, and sure enough, you just see little heads bopping up and down in the water. Oh, my gosh, we're going to lose somebody out here in the middle of Pickwick. This is not great. And so I get in the boat, and I go out, and to their credit, they said no. You are, we're not getting in that boat. We are going to make it across. I said, all right, well, I'll just go over here and fish a little while longer, and y'all make it across. And they did, and they didn't refuse the, the trip back, but they did make it across. Now, there's a, you reach a point in that trip where your arms are burning, your, your legs are burning, everything is burning. And, and the example that we use is all of them did have on life jackets. I wouldn't let them get in the water without life jackets. And there were moments when they were going across that lake where the life jacket felt like more of a hindrance to you than it did a help. Uh, it it kind of, res- there was resistance in the water. It seemed to, to make you swim slower. Bless Sam's heart. He, he had a life jacket that was too big, and so his neck was chafed and his sides were chafed. He looked like he'd been in, like, just beat up. The life jacket really seemed to, to be a hindrance. But in those moments where your strength was gone, and that didn't take very long, in those moments where your arms were like rubber, what was it that, that saved you? What was it that allowed you to just roll up on your back and just float? It was the life jacket, right? Ultimately, when they got across the lake, when they stood on the other side, they were all able to say, hey, it was that life jacket that got us across here. If we had not had that on, we wouldn't have made it. Now, again, we found that, that the armor of God can feel a lot like that life jacket. Uh, and there's times in our sinfulness that it seems to, to chafe us, uh, that it seems to just be a resistance to us, that it seems like we just want to throw it off and we want to live the way that we want to live. The reality is, is that armor, that, that armor that God gives us, and really we're putting on Christ as we put on that armor. That's what we found. Really, it is the only thing that gets us safely through. In those moments where our strength is gone, in the moments where we are our strongest, what is it that gets us there? What is it that, that floats us across? It is that armor that God gives us. It's Jesus. He is the one that, that gets us across. Uh, when we get to the other side of this life, when we stand on the other shore, we will be able to say without a doubt that it was him. That it was Christ that saw us safely across the lake, that saw us safely across the depths, and who has allowed us to stand on that other side. It's his truth. It's his peace. It's his salvation. It's all of those elements. And relevant for us today, it's his faith. It's the faith that he gives us. 
that gets us across to the other side. Here in this story that we see in Luke 7, there is a point to that story. I'm not just telling you a fun story. There is a point. Here in Luke 7, we see in full array, on full display, the truth that faith is what gets us across. Here in this centurion, we see a marvelous, such a great faith. Now, having recorded for us there in Luke 6, Jesus' sermon on the plain, he now transitions to Jesus' time in Capernaum. And initially, it may seem like this is just the next thing in line, right? This is next kind of a chronological event in Jesus' life, and so Luke is just recording it. But I, I don't think that's true. Remember all that we covered there in Luke chapter 6. Remember all of the challenges he gave us to love your enemy, to be kind, to, to stand on a firm foundation even when the storms of life come. Because I would submit to you that here in this Roman soldier, here in this Gentile, you see those things on display. That Luke gives us this story. Certainly the Holy Spirit gives us this story as to display to us all that Jesus has been teaching. And so here this morning, we're going to see a seemingly hopeless situation. The storms of life have come. They've broken against the house. We're going to see a question of worthiness. We're going to see that love, that kindness, that humility. We're going to see that even this Roman soldier understands that all of that is not enough to get him safely home. We're going to see a marvelous faith. He doesn't cling to his righteousness, but he rests in Christ alone. We're going to see an all-powerful, compassionate Savior. We're going to see a Lord. We're going to see Jesus speak a word and transform a man's life. Friends, that's what he does for us. He speaks a word, and he can transform our situations. He can transform our hearts. He transforms us by the power of his word. Here in this Roman soldier, we find not just a nice story to consider and emulate, but we find the dreadful reality of sin, the dreadful reality of its consequences, but we also find the only hope to redeem us, the only hope that will see us safely across and will get us home with him. And so quickly, with the time that we have left, let's look at this together. First, I want you to notice here a seemingly hopeless situation. A seemingly hopeless situation. And you see this really from two different perspectives. First, you see it in the, in the condition of the centurion's servant. Uh, it says there in verse 1, after he had finished all of his sayings, he went into Capernaum. And then in verse 2, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. Though he was beloved by this man who has a certain amount of power in the world, uh, though he was cared for dearly by his master, uh, this man, this, this servant, he faces the reality uh, that all face after Genesis 3, right? He, he faces the reality of the consequences of sin. He faces death. You know, someone once said that death is the great equalizer, and there's, there's a truth in that. No, no matter who you are, 
No, no matter what you've done in this life, no matter how much you've earned, no matter how much stuff you've accumulated, death is the reality. Unless the Lord returns, we will all face death. I read an article the other day on my phone. The, the headline was, Can Science Defeat Death? And I think the, the idea behind the article was that some scientist somewhere thinks he has made it where humans can live to be 120 years old. Now, that's great, I guess. I don't know what kind of quality of life you have in that, but that's a great, I guess that's fine. But here's the question. What happens after those 120 years? Death still comes, right? It's still there. It's one thing to extend life, but it's a whole nother thing to make it eternal, to make, it, to make death not come at all. And the reality is for most of us is that when death comes, that there's a hopelessness that we feel. Think about Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. He has this leprosy he can't get rid of, and he's so hopeless he's even willing to, to go to Israel, to go to, to Elisha and try to find a cure. Think about the leper that we've already seen in, in Luke's gospel. How desperate he is to find a cure because death is all that waits him. Well, this servant, he knows something about that desperate need. So we see it from his perspective, but we also see it from the perspective of the centurion himself, right? I think all of us have at some point or we will sit at the bedside of someone that we love dearly. Uh, someone who, who is close to us, whether it's cancer that they face, whether it's COVID that they face, whether it's whatever it is, death that they face. And it's one of the hardest places in this life to be, right? Uh, there's a hopelessness we feel when we watch those that we care about waste away. There, there's a, a hopelessness that we feel when those that we love most are at death's door and there is nothing that we can do about it. This, this centurion, he, he must feel that now. You see it in the desperateness of even going to the Jews to begin with, of going to Jesus. He's desperate for something, for anything, for any hope. Now, friends, before we move on from this point, I wonder now, even now, do you feel the, the, the desperate need? Do, do you feel the gravity of sin and of death? We cover it up with a whole lot of things, a whole lot of fun stuff. But the truth is, is it is always there. We cannot run from it. Nobody's run from it yet, and we can't either. Do we feel the desperate need that we have as we face the sure reality of sin's consequences? Well, that brings us to our second point. In the midst of all of this, the centurion, somehow he, he hears about Jesus. Maybe he's heard about the miracles he's worked. Maybe he's heard some of his teachings. But he hears about Jesus and he decides to, to take a flyer, to take a chance with this prophet of Israel. And so he sends this, this group of elders out to kind of see if there's a chance that Jesus would come. And what we find here, secondly is a question of worthiness. What we've seen uh, first there, what did we see? I want to go back and look. We saw seemingly hopeless situations, all right. And secondly, we see a question of worthiness. I want you to notice how these elders speak about the centurion. 
you know, they show up, and it's almost like they're there to plead his case, right? They're almost there to say, hey, this man, he's done a lot of really good things. He loves our nation. You know, he's shown kindness to God's people. Not only that, but, but he has given money, he has given time and effort to build our synagogue. So not only does he love God's people, but he has allowed God's people to worship. He has given them the ability to worship in the way that they were called to worship. And so in their eyes, these Jewish elders, based on the, the things that he had done, based on his merit, they go to Jesus and they say, and this is, this is the, the part that sticks with us. This is the part that Luke is really wanting us to grab hold of. They say, this man is worthy for you to do this for him. That should stick in your crawl a little bit. He says, this man is worthy because he has done all of these great things. Now, again, we said at the start, the things that he is doing, they are good things. They are things that Jesus, even himself, calls us to do. He's kind to even the least, to his servant. He is kind to his enemies, the Jews. And here in a minute, we're going to see the great humility that this man shows as he faces Jesus. These are good qualities. But do they, as the Jewish elders assume, make him worthy of anything? Do they make him worthy of Jesus' time? Do they make him worthy of the miracle that he seeks? It seems that the answer is no, and it seems that the man, the centurion himself, he understands that truth. Look at verse 6. It says, And Jesus went with him. He decides in his compassion and his grace to go along with these elders. But as he's going along the way, not far from the house, the centurion, he sent friends saying to them, Lord, do not trouble yourself. And here it is again. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The Jews, they saw the merit of the man. They saw his good deeds. They saw his good works. And they said, hey, he's worthy of this. But this centurion, he looked at his own heart. He looked at himself. And more importantly, he saw Jesus. He heard about Jesus and he said, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have this man come to me, to do this for me, to even come under my roof. Somehow, he gets it. The Spirit gives him the understanding. All of his power, all of his kindness, all of his giving, all of the love that he has shown to this servant, to the Jews, it's not enough. It's not enough to be worthy in the sight of this Savior, to, to have him come and do this great thing. By grace, by the grace of God, this man is able to see himself for who he truly is. He's able to see it in light of Jesus' holiness. And again, he understands that he is unworthy. Now again, as Paul's. And let me ask, how do you view yourself today? Yes, we know that we can't earn our salvation. Yes, we know that Christ is the only one who is holy, the only one who is worthy. But friends, functionally, I find in my own life 
that too often I, I act a whole lot like the Jewish elders. I look out at people and I say, oh yeah, they're, pretty, they're a pretty good person. They, they must be a Christian. I look at their deeds, and look, it is by deeds that we, that we know a person's heart. We already read that. But will we assume much just by looking at the outside? And the truth is, is, is we need to have a real understanding in our hearts of who we are. Like that publican, too often we say, Lord, thank you that I'm not like these people out here. Thank you that I'm not like sinners. Thank you that I'm not like the world. Surely you will bless me because I'm not like those folks out there. That is so often the, the attitude of our hearts. I love what, what Philip Ryken says. He says, this, this attitude towards ourselves, this understanding the, the true nature of our hearts. He says, this is not poisonous pessimism, but it's a healthy realism that helps us breathe the, the fresh air of the gospel. I like that. Knowing who we are, seeing the reality of our sin, it helps us breathe the fresh air of the gospel. Why? Because it turns our eyes away from us and it turns our eyes to the only one who is worthy. It turns our eyes to the only one who is holy and righteous. It turns us to Jesus. Now, this is a rabbit trail and I know it is and so we're not going to stay on it long. But I've got to go down it just for a second. We live in a world where depression and mental disorders and emotional distress are at an all-time high. And look, those, there's legitimacy in those things, and I don't mean to minimize them at all. There is real struggle that people have, and we don't want to dismiss that in any way. But friends, have we considered that, that part of the reason that, that these things are, are the way that they are is that most everybody in the world is not willing or, or able or, or cares enough to acknowledge the truth about themselves? Miss Linda Everett, she fusses to me all the time about the way we teach our kids in school now. You know, you're just so nice little kid. You know, everything is great, and you're great, and everything is great. We, we look out at the world, and we say, well, everybody's basically a good person. And we're all doing the best we can. We're all doing pretty good things. But then the, the problem comes, the rub comes, is that to some degree we, we buy into that. We begin to believe it, and then we mess up. Then our sinful nature, it becomes obvious to us. And all of those edifices we've built, all of those uh, great things about ourselves that we've built up, they come crashing to the ground. And we go, well, all right, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And all that's left is anxiety and depression. Our world, it absolutely falls apart. As the solution to all of that is when we begin to find our worth, our value, not in ourselves, because we, we aren't worthy. We are sinners. We are going to mess up, every single one of us. When we begin to find our worth in Jesus, teenagers, teenage girls, all girls, hear this. Find your worth in Jesus. Not in a boy. Please not in a boy. Find your worth in in Jesus and him alone don't let them tell you anything about yourself let Jesus tell you guys same thing for you don't find it in a girl even though they probably could lead you a lot better than a boy could but find it 
in Christ. He is the one who gives us our value. He is the one who gives us our worth. We will be depressed all the time if we are looking to ourselves. I speak from experience. We will be depressed. Look to Jesus. Look to him. Rabbit trail is done. Thirdly in this passage, I want you to notice a marvelous faith. We've seen a seemingly hopeless situation. We've seen a question of worthiness. And third, we see a marvelous faith. You see it there in verse 7. The centurion sends to Jesus and he says, Just say the word. Just say the word. And this man will be healed. That's great faith. It's great enough faith that, that even Jesus marvels at it. And he only marvels twice in the Gospels. Once is at the lack of faith of Israel and here at, at the faith of this pagan man. This man understands authority. He understands power. That's the example that he gives, right? He's a soldier. And he says, I have people over me who have power, and I have people under me, and I have power over them. And when I speak, they do what I say. And when my superiors speak, I do what they say. And in Jesus, he sees power. He sees power over the spiritual world. He sees power over sickness and death. And so he says, just speak the word. Just speak the word. And it will flee. Friends, what an amazing, amazing faith. From a Gentile, no less. What a challenge that that is to us there in verse 9. When Jesus says, I tell you, not even in Israel... Have I found such faith? What a challenge this is to all of us who have grown up in church. What a challenge this is to all of us who come here week after week. Are we looking by faith to Christ? Are we trusting in his power, in his authority? Are we able to acknowledge our desperate need? Have we, like this slave, received the healing that only he can give? A healing that comes... Through the power of his word, a spoken word, one word, we know it. Are you resting in the worthiness of Christ and him alone today? It is the only cure for the hopelessness that we began this with. On the top of your, your verse page there, we talked about this verse this week, and I told the kids it's, it's become one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you know it well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Friends, by faith, all that Jesus has said to us, all that we find here in his word, it becomes more real than, than all of the things we face out in the world. It becomes more real than what we feel about ourselves. It becomes more real than anything we'll experience. And it's not a, a passing hope. It's not a shot in the dark. But, but it is assurance. It is conviction. I love that. It's something that we can rest in and stand on. And know that if we are resting and standing in it, it we will not be moved. Not because we are strong but because he will not allow us to be moved. Friends, again, by faith, as we rest in him, 
Just like those kids swam across that lake, whether it was smart or not, they swam across that lake and they made it to the other side. Thanks to the life jackets. If we are resting in Jesus, we can be sure that we will make it to the other side because he will not allow us to slip. He will not allow us to sink and he will get us all the way across. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these things, the, the joy of faith, the, the marvelous faith. This man displays the life that he had lived. He doesn't look to his worthiness, even though the things that he w- was doing were good things, things that you call us to do. He didn't rest his hat on that. Instead, he, he looks to the word of God. He looks to the word that Christ speaks, and he has faith that, that Christ can do even the miraculous. Lord, I pray that you would work that faith, faith in our hearts that we would trust enough to say, Lord, just speak the word and it will be done. Lord, we, we know that in our heads. We, we've, we've heard it a thousand times. But Lord, make it true to our hearts. Apply it now. Lord, help us to rest in Jesus. Father, the, the reality is, is all of us will face death. Unless Jesus returns, we, we will face that one day. And so if we are here today and we are hopeless, if we are here today and we are desperate, Lord, show us our Savior. Show us the one who has defeated death. Show us the one who is alive even now at your right hand, who who will come back to judge the world and who will reign for all of eternity. Help us to rest in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.